This episode of the Badass Ladies Club is sponsored by Badass Retreats. It's time to make your healing a priority. Find out more at www.blcbadassretreats.com. Badasses, welcome to this week's episode of the Badass Ladies Club. My name is Jessica. I am here with my bestie Laurie Wallace and our good friend Jana McGill. What's up, friends? Hey. So, guys, before we dive in today, I just want to take a moment and extend the greatest gratitude. Thank you so much for giving up your time and listening to our podcast. We know that you have such busy lives. Um, it means a lot to us. So, if you would be so kind follow us on all the social medias at the badass ladies club on instagram badass ladies one word club on facebook and um we have tiktok and all the other things that we're working on um leave us a five-star review because we really like those those are the best those are our favorite so um jana thank you so much for joining us today um, if you guys listened to our previous episode, we had Jana here um, from Baja, Mexico, which is so amazing. She owns a wonderful plant facility, plant medicine facility there where she specifically works in addiction. And so today yes. we're going to be exploring addiction and yes, I love treatment. addiction as an episode. <laughs> I don't love addiction. I love addiction. I, I, I love addiction. My favorite. <laughs> Have um, you guys discussed addiction at all? I mean, not specifically. Not as a subject. Yeah. Mm. It falls cool. into so many things. But one of the interesting things yeah, yeah, about addiction, I think, is that everybody immediately goes to substance addictions, mm. you know, mm. because it's the most prevalent when you speak about the topic. Yep. Um, and clearly, like, addictions to drugs and alcohol are... Uh, they proliferate everything about what's going on in the world. But I find that there are so many other addictions that people feel like are not as like severe as chemical addictions um, or substance addictions that I believe truly are, you know, and I've spoken a lot about um, emotional eating and addictions to food and things that I've struggled with that, but also just um, this hyper addiction to like productivity and achievement, you know, like being addicted to the validation that comes in a workplace, for instance, or perhaps in your family dynamics and structures that there's a lot of addictive qualities that cross the spectrum from a substance addiction. You're missing a really big one. Bring it. Phone. Oh, my God. Technology. Technology addiction is truly, and what's so funny about it is that everybody always has the ultimate excuse. Like anybody who has a real issue with the addiction of the phone, myself included, mm -hmm. has a million reasons why mm -hmm. it's totally okay for me to be dropped into that. So, mm -hmm. but the, the conversation today is it doesn't matter what you're addicted to. There's a reason why you're so dependent on this substance, technology, process. distraction, process. Yeah. Whatever it is. And that helping um, ourselves look at the things that we're trying to push away by filling the void with this thing that's not ever going to fill it. 
Yeah. No amount of technology, no amount of alcohol, like it will ever fix what it is that you're avoiding when we fall into these addictive behaviors of which pretty much none of us are immune, mm-hmm. you know? Um, so let's talk a little bit about addiction as it applies to like our work, right? Cause all of us work in, we've talked a lot about the hair business, you know, like, and the beauty business that we've all been in before that there is this addiction to, um, identity, mm-hmm. you know, to, uh, making things look on the outside, the way that you want them to look, especially with social media. Nowadays. Oh my gosh. Yeah. That's, and that's filters, the goal for most people. Yeah. <laughs> and this perception of like an outside appearance or an outside ident- identity that looks pretty, you know, that looks pleasing, that is acceptable to the eye when what's going on on the inside is not so pretty, you know, and that the addiction to, um, yeah, just like that outside identity, I feel like is so important. And even things like, uh, what was the social media thing on Netflix? Oh, the social dilemma. The social dilemma. dilemma. Like, yeah. Just really got Profound. me, yeah, like connected to this idea that we are all so addicted to this perception of what who we think we are and that that's not who we are at all. But that doesn't change the fact that like for the three of us, we lived portions of our life before any of that existed. So we yeah. know what it is to create an identity that is a virtual identity mm-hmm. as opposed to kids nowadays that are growing up and don't ever have any concept of what it's not like to have a video game persona say, you know, like where you have this a virtual avatar, avatar that yeah. is not you, but you believe is you. Yeah. Um, I don't know what the question is. The question is, <laughs> What's the addiction about, you know, like that, because what I don't want to talk about today is like just talking about all different, all the different kinds of addictions. Like that's not what it's about. What it's really about is what we're avoiding or what we're using some of these things for. Well, the biggest thing when it comes to like social media and phones and stuff that is terrifying for me is you know exactly what you see in that documentary the social dilemma is you know this generation is coming up in a time where they've had the phone their entire life and it's literally become and I've seen this even with some clients that because we have a no phone policy Mm -hmm. interestingly enough you know because it's very important to be present with everything that we are doing with plant medicine and this journey and experience to, you know, get these under these addictions under control. Uh, you know, if you're sitting there on your phone, you're not present in the moment. You're going to miss, you know, these downloads that are going to come from the universe because you're doing all this stuff to fill up that space. You're not going to hear it. You're going to miss it. And, you know, on a different scale, when you're talking about, you know, children, coming up and getting to this point where that's literally just the normal thing for them. Mm -hmm. And you try to take it away and it's like, you're taking an appendage away. I literally had a client who was in his early twenties and he had some, a different, um, 
some mental disorders that that allowed him to process his place in the world very differently than most. But most specifically, like if you took his phone away, he could not deal. He could not be present at all. Not only couldn't be present, couldn't physically be like he would run away, like go run off to the beach if he didn't have his phone. And we finally got to the point where we're like, okay, well, what's more important here? Like him being safe or us having him without his phone. So we gave him the phone back because that was not really what we didn't realize we were trying to even like deal with that. That wasn't, you know, we didn't know that that was going to be an issue, but now seeing since then and beyond, I mean, honestly, sometimes I feel like it's almost more detrimental than any of these harmful drugs that, that these people are faced with because it's like, be, forget about alcohol being so socially acceptable. It is the you most know, socially it is the most, Yeah, totally. You know, and it just, it's it's taken for granted. You know, people are so busy and, and I don't blame parents for... No, I get it. You know, handing yeah. them the phone or getting them a phone. You know, I, I understand that that is, you know, a go-to. But I'll tell you, the, the children that I have come in contact with since all of this has happened, that their parents are actually you know, taking the necessary steps to keep that away for as long as possible. They're just much more well-adjusted children all around. We didn't come here to talk about phones, though. <laughs> Addiction in general, though, is it, everything that we keep talking about. Really, it all goes back to the workshop that we did this weekend yeah, because totally. it all is about shadow work. Everything that you are, you know, struggling with that is in this category of addiction, whether it is a chemical addiction or some kind of process addiction, something that you are using to cope, to push away whatever it is that you are not willing to face at this point. And, you know, it's scary stuff. So I have a question. Mm -hmm. Um, So as someone who works in addiction, I've never been addicted to drugs. And as we're discussing, we all have our own addictions. Mm, Sugar. But um, (laughs) yes, Um, (laughs) I definitely have my vices Mm -hmm. for sure. Um, But what what is happening in our brains? Like, is it that when we have these things, whether it's a drug, a phone, food, sex, whatever it is, is it like a well, serotonin boost? Yes, like, and dopamine. You're I was definitely... about to say, I can feel the dopa- mm-hmm. dopamine hit my brain yeah. when the chips and queso come out. Like, I can feel it, Dude, you know? Chocolate. Like, yeah, like, totally. Like, kidding. Like, yeah. like, it's real. Yeah. Um, you know, and you're getting that, like, momentary escape, you know, to be able to focus on something that makes you feel good mm-hmm. instead of this malady, whatever it is, that you are doing your best to ignore, You know, and it just it comes it does come in all different forms. You know, it's it's ways that we deal with stress, you know, to I mean, I know for sure I will go when it's an extra stressful time and, you know, dive into the chocolate a little bit deeper in in those moments than I would normally when everything is all, you know, copacetic and coasting, you know. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's it's literally just an opportunity to escape you know, these, the, these dark things that we don't want to face because it's ugly and it's scary and it hurts, you know, and so many people have 
spent, I mean, I'll boil this much down to you. People that are struggling with addiction of harmful drugs and alcohol, I have watched for almost four years now. And I have, I, I hate to make generalizations, but it's, it's been a common thread with just about every single one of them that have come across our facility is that they do not know how to process feelings and emotions for one reason or another. They were either raised in an environment with their parents that taught them. I literally have people that had parents that are like, you cannot cry. It is not okay. You are not allowed to feel those feelings of anger and rage you know, and they learn at a very young age that they've got to hide that and internalize it. And eventually that is going to become something that it is entirely possible. And it makes all the sense in the world that it's going to become something that they need to escape from in this way. And it's not even just parents. I mean, there's so many different areas that I've seen. You can talk about you know, teachers at school, Schools. you can talk about coaches, which right. man, sports, some, sports yeah. some are... of these athletes in school, you know, especially if their parents are, you know, work really, you know, oh, crazy long hours or whatever. The coach ends up being a surrogate parent in a lot of ways. And so much of that is steeped in that, you know, I'm not going feminist on this, but the male yeah. psyche is definitely always typically been raised to believe that men don't cry, right, right. you know, there's and no crying in baseball. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Great film. Not a great message. Um, <laughs> but, you know, and it is something that I I mean, just in this time, I know I have just seen it over and over again. There are, you know, if, if you had a well-adjusted childhood, then there is something else that taught you that your feelings and your emotions were not okay. They were not valid and you needed to find a way to make it so that you didn't have those anymore. Well, and this whole concept of, I love the idea of like self soothing, right? Because now, you know, at Adelaide school, that there's like quiet time or like you've taught mm -hmm. Adelaide affirmations and this like concept of like, mm -hmm going inside and soothing yourself in this meditative way, you know, or in this quiet space that you have. Um, and when I was in school, I remember nap time, mm -hmm. which I feel like intentionally could have been used for that kind of space, but like none of us wanted to sleep, you yeah. know, and it definitely wasn't this concept of like learning how to soothe ourselves. Mm -hmm. So when I was presented with ways to soothe myself that weren't, Harmful. Harmful. Or things like simple things. I don't, there, you talk about like well-adjusted childhoods, right? I think there's a lot of people that come from loving, quote unquote, well-adjusted homes that pick up self-soothing coping mechanisms that are very unhealthy. Mm -hmm. um, you know, like I talked a little bit about, I would get rewarded with ice cream when I made good grades. Mm -hmm. But also when the dog died, we went and got ice cream, mm. you know? And so like the way that we celebrated was also the way that we grieved. Mm. And so then, and then obviously like uh, big holidays or birthdays, you know, like the family gets together and we always food, have food, the big food, meal food, food. and then we do the dessert thing and we, you know, like, and then when somebody passes away, well, we have the meal and mm -hmm. we do the, you know, and that. So, and that none of that is inherently bad. 
And none of that was like a traumatic childhood thing that but happened to me. But it is a me. confusing subconscious but message. in my coping mechanisms as an adult now, I have addictive tendencies to this idea of food soothing me mm-hmm. when things are bad mm-hmm. or when something bad has happened, but also to celebrate, <laughs> to celebrate with it. the good things that I go know. on, you know? And so it creates this mechanism that wasn't founded in a traumatic or a misused space, which is what's so fascinating about addiction because like so often I think that we categorize it where, well, some people have a problem, you know, and that that's somehow worse than these behaviors that I just picked up, you know, like through my childhood and that it's the same mechanism we're working with. We both are trying to soothe something, even though Mm -hmm. what a traditionally addicted person to harmful drugs gets labeled as they might be trying to self-soothe some horrible traumatic childhood event. And I'm just working with the difference between a birthday party and my dog dying, you know, Mm -hmm. and that, they're both very important things that are affecting our qualities of life. And in mine, it looks like weight. And in somebody else's life, it might look like a life or death situation addicted to a substance that's going to kill them, you know, Mm -hmm. but that the conversation about the addiction is the same. And the conversation about learning how to find these healthy coping mechanisms and how to self soothe still answers the same question, you know, as far as what we were taught And then as adults, what we're doing to try and unpack this and learn other ways, you know, because I have other resources now. Mm -hmm. I know a lot about how to handle that. But that also still doesn't mean that I always make the right choice, you know, like and like you said, sometimes when things are stressful and we go for the chocolate, you know, that there is in this conversation of addiction, this I deserve to feel good for a moment, mm-hmm. even if it means that I eat too much of something or I have the extra drink or I, you know, like whatever it is um, that the problem with just saying, well, just don't eat it. Don't drink it. Don't do it anymore. Is that so often we just want whatever we can get to make us feel good for the moment, you know? And mm-hmm. that if I had the option between the chocolate And the moment of stillness in the yoga class or in the opportunity to meditate and connect to something larger than myself and feel nourished by that. um, Which one do I trust more? And that food, alcohol, drugs, they don't like it. They don't let you down. Like you can consistently depend upon some of these things to always deliver, you know, where... Yeah, because sometimes the stillness sucks. And it's hard, mm-hmm. you know? Like, yeah, that's what I mean. Like, yeah. and that, It's not working. Yeah, I'm learning to trust <laughs> those other healthier coping mm-hmm. mechanisms more and more the more that I use them. But that doesn't mean that I don't still have 100% faith that the chocolate's going to make me feel better, you know? Like, yeah. because it, quote, unquote, works. Well, and absolutely, I mean, look, I am still a cigarette smoker right now. I had about nine months out there in Baja where I wasn't. And I actually used Temescal, the sweat lodge, as my like medicine to set the intention to quit when I did. And it worked um, for that period of time. And my mantra for that was I'm a singer. So my mantra was I'm just going to smoke a song, you know, and it was like when I quit. I understood, first of all, through Temescal, because I chant in Temescal. So, you know, understanding how much 
effect, you know, smoking was having on my vocal cords and how limiting that was for me. Um, but then the, the notion of replacing it with the ultimate thing of why, I mean, of course there's so many reasons why cigarettes are not good for you, but me being a singer and me wanting to, you know, continue to have my voice grow, not get gravelly and terrible as I get older, you know, um, this idea of, well, anytime that I'm feeling in that moment where I want a cigarette, I'll sing a song because the feeling of my own voice, the vibration of that, you know, was enough when I had the determination to do it, that it could change what was happening in my brain long enough to get me past that moment of feeling like I needed the cigarette right then, you know? And then the more I did that, the more, you know, it's just, I'm singing all the time. So I'm feeling great about that, about myself and realizing that it, you know, it wasn't necessarily about that particular mantra or that particular method. It was really, me doing the things that make me feel good inside, make me feel happy and, you know, and my authentic self, you know, and those were the things that were going to keep me on that path. Then, of course, you know, life gets extra hairy and, you know, things get difficult. And, you know, actually, to be honest, I went back into Temescal once again and I'm like feeling the weight of the universe on my shoulders and going, how do I handle this? What do I do? And I get this clear message that it's like, look, you got to do what you got to do right now. Like if you need to have a cigarette, then have a cigarette, you know, like just like you were you're you like, were, OK, yeah, sure. <laughs> Done. I'm, I'm going to smoke right after we get out. But, you know, you were even saying something about, you know, the whole food soothing thing mm -hmm. and, you know, that being, ugh, I don't remember how I was connecting that, whatever, doesn't matter. Anyway, <laughs> um, you know, but understanding that it's really just, we're not, we're not, first of all, we're never, no matter how much, this is always going to be a work in progress. We're never going to be perfect in these things. And it's, you know, a constant moving thing that is morphing and changing all the time as we're growing, as we're developing ourselves, as we are getting more self-aware and understanding truly like breaking it down. Okay. What are the things mm -hmm. that I know if I'm doing all of these things, then my stress is managed. You know, I feel fulfilled. I have joy on a regular basis that's coming from places that are positive for me, that are not harmful to me. And it's just, it's literally what we are teaching our clients at my facility every single day is striving to have these, these things in place of self-care that are going to allow you to have self-love, that you ultimately have got to love every bit of yourself and even those dark parts, you know, and being willing to look at those things, understand them, where they come from, knowing that whether it is just like in the reading that I talked about yesterday, whether it is addiction or, you know, some kind of broken relationship or some kind of disease or financial instability or, you know, all of these different things that eventually lead to stress, that lead to us taking away from ourselves, that lead to us hurting ourselves, 
you know, that addiction of that you were talking about with like advancement in the workplace. Well, Mm -hmm. advancement's wonderful. Like we're not bagging on advancement. What we're bagging on is the idea of you're throwing yourself completely into work and you are not having a balance of self-care. Even if you love your job, I have seen this. I'll tell you this much. I've seen this more than anything for the most part. And I hate making generalizations, as I said, but for the most part, over the last four years, I have seen two major categories of what comes to our facility. And one of them is what you would obviously typically think of as, you know, the person that struggled with heroin or meth or whatever these, you know, street drugs are that keep them in this endless cycle where, you know, there may be living some kind of gypsy type lifestyle. They don't have any true, you know, footing or grounding in anything that is stable or solid, you know, and, and most likely in those situations, a family member is supporting them in coming to do this work. But the other category that is so prevalent is the passionate worker. The passionate artist especially. I have had so many artistic people who found this thing, whether it is visual art or music or whatever, that they have thrown everything into their passion. Now, the other one that I just described, generally, they don't even know what their passion is. And that is part of their journey, too, to not only understand, okay, these are the things that I need for self-care. These are the things that are going to help me love myself. But now one of those aspects is figuring out what my passions are, finding out what it is that lights me up. And if I can do this thing for the rest of my life, it's going to keep me fulfilled no matter what else is going on in my life. And I can handle the stress and the monkey wrenches and the curveballs that get thrown at me because I am on this path of following what I love, what lights me up inside and all of the things that make me love myself, yoga, meditation, breath work, healthy diet, exercise, all of these things that we all require in some form or fashion to thrive. But the person that is that that mission driven, you know, passion driven, doing their work that they knew that they were called for. And that's beautiful and amazing. And it's incredible to witness it. But you see that that's become the only thing they're doing. They're not sleeping. They're not eating. They are allowing themselves to deteriorate because it's the only thing that they're doing. And they think that they're not being true to their art and their self if they're not giving everything to it, you know, and then of course that's gonna, that's not sustainable. So they end up turning to drugs and other things like that. But the thing is, it's, it's, it's the double edge. So it's both ends of the same sword. And that person that is not, that is completely following their passions they have also completely neglected all of their self-care. And it's really coming from the, it's the same thing that's causing their addiction just in a different way. And so it's really difficult for them to accept that you have got to like make this time for yourself where you go, okay, no, this is the only time that I'm going to work on my stuff a day. And that sounds really hard for, you know, the creative type. And I am one of those people. So I get it. Like you want to throw everything into this passion and you feel like you're, you know, not being authentic somehow if you're not doing that. But I'd rather you be alive than, you know, compromise some of that time. It goes back to the identity thing. Totally. Yeah. They're an artist. Yeah. Because I got that way when Laurie and I were working in the salon business Mm -hmm. together. I was a hairstylist 
and that's it. Mm -hmm. I don't have time for anything else. Mm -hmm. And I was addicted to my work to where it was killing me. Well, it's no, it's no coincidence that I will say that this brand new evolution of Queer Eye. I don't know if anybody has watched oh my it. God. Are you kidding me? You're talking no, about two hold biggest the phone, fans. Though. Wait. <laughs> Jana, when was the, when did you watch it for the I first just time? She just started all watching of it. it. Oh my God. Like, and I was like, are you joking? Months. This is like our Bible. Like, I didn't know. We live. I didn't know because I knew about Queer Eye for the straight guy, <laughs> yeah. which, you know, I always knew. I never watched it. The reality TV has to really grab me in a very special way for me to want to get into it. And that was like, whatever, like these grizzly guys becoming no, like, good looking but new this queer eye is something else yeah. something else entirely and the thing that is blowing me away is what is it eight seasons now seven yeah, seasons I mean, yeah, they uh, have every single season gone to a different place yeah. all over the united states they have gone to japan yeah. and every single every single episode no matter where they're from no matter who they are it all boils down to self-care in some form or fashion and there is no difference here when we're talking about addiction because we're talking about things that everyone needs. And there are other ways that these difficulties for people are presenting themselves besides addiction. But it all goes back to that same thing. All of those aspects of shadow work that we discussed in the workshop this weekend, all of those things are coming out of the fact that people are not doing Taking enough to themselves. take care of themselves yeah. and love themselves so through and through. What's so interesting though about all of these forms of addiction, the working addiction, the substance, all of it, is that collectively it is really hard to stand up as an individual and say, sorry, my self-care is more important mm -hmm. than anything else. That it is, and I'm I'm hopeful that we are turning a corner as a collective where that's concerned. But what I know in reality is that when I started to put what I needed to take care of myself first, loaded with shame and guilt about it, okay? Mm -hmm. That I felt just about me, right? But then if you'd look at like the outside looking in, I can count on one hand the number of people that really supported me in going all in on what I needed. Yeah. And outside of those four or five people that truly like wanted what was best for me and was like, whatever you need, like, yes, go for it. Um, there were a lot of judgments and there was a lot of raised eyebrows people and there calling was calling you selfish. Not even <laughs> they may not even have gone that far, right. but I could feel the what energy. was coming back. And it was so much of a um, well, I hope you don't lose your ass. Well, I hope you don't give it all up for nothing, you know? Like I hope in that and that this idea that it's somehow weak, irresponsible, mm -hmm. you know, like you're not keep you're not going to keep up. You're going to fall behind in life if you focus on your self-care as a priority when on a energetic level, on a spiritual level. What I know is that focusing on your passions, what lights you up, what feels good in your body is what is going to allow you to receive more of that. Mm -hmm. And all that other shit will work itself out, mm -hmm. right? But that's not the way that we are trained, right? And if we're talking about training, then of course I think it all goes back to being in school mm -hmm. and getting the gold star and being quiet and listening. And do, you know, and none of those things are things that I don't think are important, but I don't think they're as important as doing what you need to do to take care of yourself. And I know I was, you know, I was born in 1978. I was indoctrinated into a role where you behave, 
you listen, you pay attention, you follow the path that was put before you by the people that did it exactly like that in order to duplicate these results Mm -hmm. to be successful, to be a good person, right? Um, And that that did not serve me when it came to really listening to what I needed self-care-wise. And so the fact that self-care ends up boiling down to being the answer to addiction and a myriad of other things Mm -hmm. that make us feel terrible in this Mm -hmm. life, I wish so much that it was the focus of healthcare providers. Mm. I wish so much it was the focus of employers that could see their employees are struggling in some way that parents focused on it with their kids when they're struggling, like not Mm -hmm. um, like, what do you need is my favorite Mm -hmm. question. Like, and sometimes I ask myself that 25 times a day and have to struggle a little bit to answer it, you know, like, because I have so little experience asking myself, what do I need? You know, and that this is the, um, the trick to overcoming the addiction is to give yourself all the permission for all the self-care and see what works for you. Wait till you start working with the notion that we should eliminate the word need too. (laughs) I mean, in a different way. I was about to say, I think I hear what you're saying, but I think it's an opposing. I, um, I love what you're saying because as a mother to a six year old, like I question what I'm doing for her every single day. Cause mm-hmm. I don't freaking know what I'm doing. Um, you know, we have Adelaide in a very, um, academically sped up high performance school. Mm. Um, and she hella loves it. And she's hella smart. I think that she's a genius. Aaron and I struggled with it more than she did. Like we had trouble with her homework. She never did. Like it was <laughs> crazy, but even in kindergarten. So like part of her daily thing was she had to read five times a week and it had to be on an app where it was recorded. And then her teacher, you know, made sure that they did their reading and all this stuff. But there was one night where Adelaide went to bed hella early. She was exhausted. She was tired and she went to bed without doing her reading assignment. Mm. And I was like, shit. Oh my God. We're going to be off of you know, the reading <laughs> assignment. Oh my God. We're going to be in trouble. And you know, this like, a student achiever in me freaked mm-hmm. out. I immediately emailed her teacher and I was like, I'm so sorry, but we did not do the reading assignment tonight. So she won't have it recorded. We can do it in the morning before she goes to school. And her, I checked my email the next morning and her teacher was like, it's okay. We all need a break. Mm. If she needed to rest, Solid she needed teacher. to rest. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh my God, even on this kindergarten level, like I love that her teacher gave her yeah. grace. Yes. she got And it. she was like, in her email, self-care is important. Right. Mm. She obviously did what she needed to do mm. and don't worry about making it up. What a great it's teacher. okay. Yeah. And so I was good. like, Oh my God, you're an angel. Right. Like, it's a lot of pressure. Gosh, was, I wish there were more teachers like that. But it was a teaching moment for Adelaide too, where Adelaide was like, Oh, I didn't do my, and I was like, I took care of it. Your teacher said, da, da, da. and Adelaide was like, uh, okay. Yeah. You know, it was just really sweet. You had more relief than yes. she did. <laughs> well, I, there's, and I know that we're running out of time, but I, there's definitely two aspects that I want to touch on and they actually come from what you both, different things that you both just talked about. What you were discussing about as far as like making that, that decision to 
have to be selfish with yourself to draw these personal boundaries when you are diving into this arena for the first time of, I need to start caring for myself. Like it's very challenging. And so many of the people that come out to my facility that are struggling with addiction, you know, they have a kid, they have other, you know, work obligations, whatever it is, because most people don't have the 90 days that is my dream time frame for somebody to come and do this work for addiction with us because of that golden opportunity to retrain the brain that the medicine gives them. I have to constantly be struggling with people because I want them to have have, as much time as able to be given to it as possible needs to be because no one when they come out to our facility understands fully what the commitment is that they are. And I try to get them ready for it on the phone as much as possible, but until they actually start working with it and in within the use of the plant medicine and everything and all the different modalities that we have in place for self-care and for self-exploration and self-discovery, it's in that moment that they've maybe hopefully start to understand that this is necessary in order for this that you came here to do to actually be anything sustainable. And if you can give yourself this time right now where you're going to be a little the good connotation of selfish because you've got to be putting everything into you right now so that when you do go back into your life, you have the muscle memory that you've created while you were in my little safe protective bubble that I've created for you to actually make this something that is a part of your everyday routine that you know that you have to get up an hour before your kids because that's going to be the only time in the day that you're going to get to do any meditation or breath work. And you've got to make that commitment to yourself to do it, even if it means you got to wake up a little early so that you can do that, you know, and figuring out what are these things throughout every single day. And I'll even tell people that, you know, don't have that choice that do have to go right back into it. I'm like, okay, well, if you're going to go back to work right away, like talk to your boss about maybe even just going back 50% if that's possible. And if you work a 40 hour work week, then 20 hours is work. And the other 20 hours is the job of you, of you literally making that your other second job of figuring out what those things are for self-care that make you feel like, okay, I am happy. I am like ready to go and take on whatever life is going to throw at me because that's the problem with these people struggling with addiction is that when they get out there and, you know, they're in my nice protective bubble and they think, oh, I'm great. I got this. I know I'm figured out and I love yoga and I love this and I'm going to take those things with me and I'm going to go. But then they get out into this harsh, cruel It's rough out there, y'all, yeah. And they get their first monkey wrench and it hits them in the face and they go, oh, okay. I thought I was ready and I wasn't, you know, and the ones that it made enough of an impact can go start reaching out into all these extra things and doubling down on the self-care. But more than not, it's going to end up resulting in a relapse, you know, and I do want to throw out there for anybody who is struggling with a re- with an addiction. Relapse is definitely a, in a lot of ways a necessary step into your recovery. Um, And the last thing I did just want to throw out there as far as my understanding of 
the place that th- that what I was talking about in the beginning of emotions and feelings with children and them being given that ability to explore those things in a healthy way. And mm-hmm. I'm saying this to a mother. I'm looking in your eyes right now and I want you to tell every mother and father out there, anyone that is raising a tiny human that we have to let them feel their feelings. We have to let them explore their anger and their jealousy and of course their sadness and let them know that it's okay to cry. And in fact, it is healing and good to let those tears out and that it's not going to shatter their world. In fact, it's going to help build it up and the musical free to be you and me, I am telling you, (laughs) play it for your children. It is all the difference for them to understand that they should be feeling all of these feelings so that they can learn healthy ways to process through them and to never step away from their self-care. Love it. Heard. Heard. What a great episode, y'all. I, I think there's nowhere else to end it but there. Amen. So love on yourself. Take care of yourself. Always. We love you guys. Have an awesome week. Love, love, love. Love.